Hello, everybody. This is Tanner Menard. My pronouns are they, them, and theirs. I'm a member of the Attack Upon Ishak Nation, and I'm an organizer with Equality Arizona. This is the Equality Arizona podcast, Queer Cultural Hub, an extension of the Queer Poetry Salon. And today, our guest is Julian De La Cruz, who has also been... Um, my co-host for some time with the Queer Poetry Salon. Um, I'm so excited to talk to him today. We're going to talk about the work that we've done with the Queer Poetry Salon. Uh, we're going to kind of get this particular podcast going. And uh, we're going to hear a couple of poems by queer poets and some poetry by Julian. So I'm very excited. Hello, Julian. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's been an interesting week. And um, I think that um, I'm just excited to talk to you about the Queer Poetry Salon and the work we've done and maybe just get started by asking you, you know, what has the Queer Poetry Salon meant to you? And um, how are you feeling about us moving to this podcast format? Well. I would say that like it's been such a beautiful experience to hear so many different voices um and like I don't think that being on Zoom has detracted for me like that experience in any way um yeah I think I think it's just I don't know yeah <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's exciting it's it's always exciting and I'm always looking forward to it. Um, and what was your second question? <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. Um, well, I was just I was just curious if you could tell me about like your experience with the queer poetry salon because we started it pretty much. You were one of the people who's really helped me from the very beginning. You know, we started it in um, August of 2019. And it was at, we just kind of started it at me and Ramona's place. And then we had those readings in your backyard and then we moved to Palabras and then the quarantine <laughs> happened. And we, you know, we've had some amazing outreach um, online on Zoom. Um, but I'm just curious if you could talk about like what it's meant for you as a queer person in Arizona to have an exclusively queer space for poetry? I mean, I really do miss it being in person <laughs> um, just because like, I don't know, there's an ambiance in person that like you just can't recreate over the screen. And um but at the same time, like, I really have valued so much the opportunity to connect with poets across the country um, and to see that, like, queer poetry is really thriving and also to connect with, like, some of my heroes. Like, the C.A. Conrad reading was so special and C.A.'s work means so much to me. And I was just honestly so blown away by, like, all their wisdom and the power of their poetry. And, um, you know, like... I always think back to that reading um, when I first saw CA and just, yeah. So it, it's it's been really amazing connecting with, you know, people that I've known peripherally through this. Um, 
but also like, you know, people that I've looked up to for like a really long time. And um, yeah, I'm just really thankful that I get to do this. Thanks for being with us. Um, you're an MFA student at ASU. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and your work and um, also maybe like why you feel that it's important to contribute to something like this, to the Queer Poetry Salon and now to this Queer Cultural Hub. Um, and then I'll speak as to why I'm doing this work. Okay, yeah, totally. Um, okay, so I am in the MFA program at Arizona State University, and this is my second year. Um, and a lot of my work revolves around like the intersection of empire and desire. So I'm thinking a lot about like white supremacy and how that shapes desire and, you know, how that shapes who we think of as a person. Um, so yeah, I, I've been exploring that topic rather heavily lately, considering everything going on. Um, and I would say, you know, the MFA really changed my work because before this, you know, I didn't really know that I was so interested in like race. Um, and I also didn't know like how to talk about it. So um, the conversations that I had last year and everything I was becoming aware of, like really, um, yeah, it just really started coming to the fore in my writing. Um, and I think that it's super important to do this kind of work. Um, you know, the, the queer poetry salon. Um, because like, you know, there's more out there that people need to know about, you know, like, like white male heterosexual, you know, poetry isn't all that there is. There are other perspectives, you know, um, and yeah, that's why I think it's important. We, we just need alternative perspectives and there are, there's a lot of beautiful work coming out of the queer community all the time. I think it deserves to be heard. I agree. And I think that, you know, um, the reason that I wanted to start the Queer Poetry Salon um, and now this like queer cultural hub so that we can move beyond just poetry, we can talk to queer artists of all types, um, is that, uh, as you mentioned, you know, I feel like our voices are marginalized in the greater community like they're not always heard they're not usually heard and there's not usually a spotlight on them um some a lot of times you know i feel like it's hard to avoid queer people in the arts because so many of us are in the arts um but <laughs> but it's not always made explicit it's usually not made explicit and it's usually um sort of like an untold secret about what's happening in a space. And so I feel like by putting a spotlight on queer poets and now on queer artists of all types, um, it gives the opportunity to build resiliency for our community because sometimes we just need to know that we exist. Sometimes we just need to know we exist. And by showing our existence to the community, um, we're also able to ask the community to get together and do important things. Like, for instance, you know, uh, Equality Arizona um, 
through mechanisms like the Queer Poetry Salon um, and the uh, amazing amount of volunteers that we've been able to get together, we're able to reach 2 million voters in the 2020 election. And as you know, um, <clears throat> that sort of outreach led to a blue shift on the federal level in Arizona. Yeah, your voting guide blew my mind. Like I was super into like how much research you all did to like vet, you know, the judges who would be in favor of LGBTQIA issues. And um, yeah, I would have been lost without that guide. <laughs> really, truly. That's good to know. I mean, I personally did, you know, like a lot of work with the endorsement process. And I think that that's the sort of thing that queer people need to be doing nowadays is that if you're an artist, um, that means that you have a voice that people listen to. Um, and in my thought, it also means that you have a responsibility to use that voice to help guide your community towards voting in its best interest and also taking action when needed uh, in the interest of your community. And I personally feel that, you know, at, in 2021, um, even though there is a Democrat in the White House now, um, and there is seemingly a move towards more equity in rhetoric and hopefully in policy, um, there's still going to be a lot of work for our community to do. Um, in terms of mobilizing, you know, calling representatives. And that's the way that I think that queer arts, queer poetry, and politics intersect, is that we're able to kind of do this work together. Um, and that, in my opinion, is one has been one of the successes of the Queer Poetry Salon, is that not only is it created a space for queer poets in Arizona to to have a space to feel vulnerable and have a space to feel good about the work that they're doing. But it's also been a space where they can find out like, hey, this is, you know, this is an opportunity to volunteer. This is an opportunity to call your representative. This is an opportunity to get out the vote. That's really brilliant because like, when does entertainment ever get mixed up with activism? You know, <laughs> I just feel like it's a, it's a it's an interesting formulation and you know yeah we've seen that it works so maybe maybe other organizations can learn from that approach also i i hope so i mean i i feel like and i want to just thank you for being there from the beginning um to help out with it and all the heart that you've put into the queer poetry salon and you've just you're um a very precious friend to me and a very precious friend to Equality Arizona. And I um, I just wanna let you know how impactful the work that you've done with Equality Arizona and with Queer Poets in Arizona has been. Um, because I feel like we're shifting the, we're shifting the culture. And I think that that is where um, I'm interested in in just kind of having a little dialogue with you is like, how do you feel like, like queer artists, I mean, we can obviously just make whatever kind of art we want. And we've obviously been making art for a long time. Um, I'm curious what you feel like at this particular moment in time with all of the, you know,
upheaval that's happening and also the change of administration and just where we are as a society. What do you feel that queer people can contribute to the arts? And what do you feel that, like, how do you feel that contribution should be grounded in responsibility to the community? Well, I would say that probably like an overwhelming number of us feel like we have to like write about these topics and these moments. And I think this the urgency has never felt stronger than it does now because like, you know, we need to advocate for ourselves. We need to advocate for ourselves 24 seven and like no one is gonna do that for us. Like we have to keep educating through our art. Like, I think that's a really huge responsibility that we should, that, that we have to take on, you know, because like, you know, there are fascists educating people, but like maybe our art can reach people, you know, at a stronger, better rate. You know, I I, I think that um, we do we do have a responsibility, like for this moment. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> No, I think it does. And I think you hit on um, a really good point, which was that nobody's going to do it for us. And I'll just give you an example of that. Like I moved to Arizona about four years ago and um, I was fortunate because I'm I'm indigenous. And so I happen to know some um, indigenous poets in Arizona who kind of got me started in the poetry scene here. But as a queer poet, who's also indigenous, um, I didn't really necessarily see um, a place for that. And when I looked around what was going on in Arizona, I didn't see like a queer space for poetry. And I always kind of felt a little weird about going places or Um, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but I knew that there was not exactly a place for me. Um, There were people like Jake Skeets, who at the time had his pollen tongue reading series uh, up in the Navajo reservation. But like in Phoenix, there was no space that I felt like this is my space. And so um, I was grateful for the opportunity with Equality Arizona to just like make that space. Right. And then like everybody that needed this, that space also joined in and contributed. Like I'm just thinking about all those readings we had with the MFA students. Um, We we needed that space and it was like us taking responsibility for creating what we needed. Um, And I'm hoping that this podcast will inspire more queer artists in Arizona to create explicitly queer spaces where not only queer arts can flourish and be seen um but where grassroots activism can also take place because you know one of the things that that you know it's really great that arizona uh went blue on the federal level but on the state level we have a lot to be concerned about we have a whole lot to be concerned about. And so we're going to, we're going to have to, we're going to have to stand up 
for our community over the next couple of years. And we're going to have to make sure that in 20, um, 2022 that we get out the vote on the local level so that we can actually shift Arizona um, in a more progressive way and in, and in a way that in a way that like actually supports our community. Um, so I want to, you know, one of the things we're going to be doing in this podcast when we talk to um, queer poets, queer writers, queer artists of whatever type is asking them to uh, read two pieces of writing by queer writers, queer poets, um, maybe sharing music, whatever they're gonna decide to do, um, that in some way helped shape them as queer artists. And so I'm just curious what you brought along today and whether you'd like to like talk about it a little bit or maybe read some of it. Sure, yeah. Um, let me just pull this up here. Um, so I brought in a poem that I'm just so in love with. Um, it's called Things Haunt by the trans poet Joshua Jennifer Espinoza. And um, I think I'm just going to read it and then talk about it a little. Things Haunt. California is a desert and I am a woman inside it. The road ahead bends sideways and I lurch within myself. I'm full of ugly feelings, awful thoughts bad dreams of doom, and so much love left unspoken. Is Mercury in retrograde, someone asks? Someone answers, no, it's something else like that, though. Something else like that. That should be my name. When you ask me, am I really a woman, a human being, a coherent identity, I'll say no. I'm something else like that, though. A true citizen of planet Earth closes their eyes and says what they are before the mirror. A good person gives and asks for nothing in return. I give and I ask for only one thing. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Bear the weight of my voice and don't forget. Things haunt, things exist long after they are killed wow yeah that is a doozy of a poem um but i think like what it speaks to is like the sense of resiliency you know and also like that that deep spirituality that all queer people have and like you know i think that's our message for the world is you know love you know like we i i think you know being queer puts you in kind of like a an interstitial space, right? Where like, you know, maybe some people are seeing in black and color, but because you're having such a different experience socially, you know, you can see more colors, right? And um, I don't know, I know also um, from queer studies that like a lot of like shamans or like spiritual people have been like queer. <laughs> this is like historically documented. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I, I just feel that, that spirituality from this poem, you know? That's really interesting um, that you that you bring that particular point up. And um, I'm curious, you know, when you said that 
Um, you use the word interstitial, and I'm wondering if you could explain to the audience what that word means. Um, and then talk and, and explain a little bit more about like why a queer person would see more colors because of where they are in society. Yeah, so like um, an interstitial space is is just the space between things. So like if you look inside of your body, it could be the space between like two different organs. So like it's just like the the space in which like uh, that connects different things, right? Um, and the interstitial spacing, um, I don't know. I mean, I know like when I was growing up, I felt like I could be attuned to like what both like men and women were thinking. Like I was just sensitive enough to like be able to like extend empathy, you know, um, in both directions. And um, I don't know. I think, I think it's a part of that like otherness, right. Where like, you're not, you're not necessarily totally um, accepted by like one or the other, you know? Yeah, I think that that's right. I, 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 um, you know, personally, I know that I'm a very spiritual person. It's, it's always been, um, like a very important part of my life and also of my identity. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that that's a beautiful thing that we have to offer. And I feel like as poets, um, and as artists, like we're creating a kind of spirituality through our work. Um, in that we call people to gaze towards the truth like we might be told that we don't exist or we our society might be shaped such that we don't exist and it's like you were saying that um you felt like you could relate both to men and women and you know as an indigenous person you know what little teachings i have about being two spirit um that I feel like it's very similar for me as well that um I can relate to both to both men and women and and also am a testament to the fact that there is there are kind of like liminal genders um and liminal just sort of meaning the same thing that you mentioned earlier sort of like an in between sort of space and I think that that's like really really potent and one of the things that i loved about this poem is just like hear me hear me hear me hear me hear me but the weight of my voice and don't forget things haunt it's like i think that that's one of the things that we've been able to do through the work that we're doing is to give that opportunity for people just to be heard yes absolutely and also like you know we could be hurt like i was saying earlier we could be heard in any setting but when we create the setting ourselves it's like in my opinion it amplifies the voice and one of the things that i'm kind of like interested in doing as an organizer but also as a human being is oh there's so much there's so much negativity out there in the world um and i'm really interested in amplifying the beauty of who we are as queer people and helping us to focus on the on like what's beautiful about who we are as 
people. Um, so Julian, um, I asked for you to bring two pieces that influenced you as a queer uh, poet. What is the second piece and why did you, you know, maybe you want to read it and then tell us why you brought it or however you'd like to do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll read it. Um, Glitter in My Wounds by C.A. Conrad. Glitter in my wounds. First and most important, dream our missing friends forward. Burn their reflections into empty chairs. We are less bound by time than the clockmaker fears. This morning, all I want is to follow where the stone angels point. Bird song lashing me to tears. Heterosexuals need to see our suffering, the violent deaths of our friends and lovers, to know glitter on a queer is not to dazzle, but to unsettle the foundation of this murderous culture, defiant weeds smashing up through cement. You think Oscar Wilde was funny? Well, darling, I think he was busy distracting straight people so they would not kill him. If you knew how many times I've been told you're not like my gay best friend who tells me jokes and makes me laugh. No, I sure as fuck am not. I have no room in my life to audition for your pansy mascot. You people can't kill me and think you can kill me again. I met a tree in Amsterdam and stood barefoot beside it for 20 minutes, then left completely restored. Yet another poem not written by a poet. Sometimes we need one muscle to relax, so the others follow. My friend Mandy calls after a long shift at the strip club to say, while standing in line for death, I am fanning my hot pussy with your new book. Will you sign it next week, my fearless faggot sister? We love Conrad, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just... um. I'm looking for the word, uh, like the 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 feeling of like rebelling against, you know, uh, all of all of the stereotypes that are like laid on top of you, right? Like, but then also like, you know, it's that same thing I was talking about earlier, where um, we need to advocate for ourselves, right? Like Conrad says, "Dream our missing friends forward." burn their reflections into empty chairs. Like, you know, that has that tinge of like, you know, act up and like the AIDS epidemic, you know, um, which they were like deeply, deeply like scarred and influenced by in their work. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm just really uh, drawn to like, how powerful this piece is when it comes to like advocating for oneself. For sure. And I think, I mean, the other, the other part that I really like about this poem is um, when they talk about Oscar Wilde, just being busy, trying not to get killed, you know, the, the way that queer people have had to exist for so long and the way that it, sh the way that it shaped who we are today as people that we've lived through like centuries and centuries of, oppression basically where you know if you didn't hide your true identity then you could literally be killed 
Um, and things have obviously gotten a little bit better, but at the same time, like that reality continues to exist for some people. Absolutely. Um, and I'm, yeah. And I mean, like one of, you know, one of the things that I know Equality Arizona is pushing for is a conversion therapy ban in Arizona. And just wow. the idea, yeah, just, you know, the idea that um, a little, someone's parents could just decide that they hate the fact that you're queer so much that they could send you to a conversion camp that you know is proven to be harmful that you know might potentially use electroshock therapy on kids um and so i like I feel like that's why we have to we have to continue doing the work that we're doing and why art artists and poets voices are so important is because people people a lot of people are not even aware that this is taking place. You know what I mean? And they don't necessarily they people might see us and um they might have their own idea about who we are, but when they hear us in our own context, describing who I are, who we are, I feel like it opens a portal for empathy. Yes, absolutely. And understanding. Yes. And um, not only that, but I think that, like you know, there are people who like already hate us for who we are, and they they may continue to hate us. But there's a lot of people who who might just m- misunderstand but be willing to be open to those things. Mm-hmm. And I think like a poet like Conrad is really doing that work um, in that sort of mystical context that you were talking about. So I really appreciate you bringing their work. Um, and it's really awesome that you chose two trans poets Um to bring in um because we we work with so many trans poets at you know with the queer poetry salon and um you know one thing that we could maybe talk about is like i know that you and i have put our heads together a lot um to try to make sure that we have run one of the most diverse poetry reading series probably in the country in my opinion <laughs> i mean <laughs> i feel like i feel like it would be People, we'd be hard pressed to find one that's been as diverse as what we've done in the last year and a half. And I was like, just wondering if you could talk about how you think about that and how you think diversity should look in like a reading series or in, you know, a gallery installation series or whatever. Well, how are you, how are you thinking about it? And then maybe that'll stir some thoughts for me. Well, um, one of the things that I noticed early on when I started programming for the Queer Poetry Salon was that it was a lot easier to get, um, like it was easy to get white, queer, and trans poets to sign up. And I feel that like just historically in the United States, um, white people um, are used to taking the stage. And so they're happy to they're happy to take it, and that's fine. But I feel like poets of color um, 
are not as used to having that kind of agency. And we're, we're like, we're learning how to take our place. So it was, I guess my point is, is that I made sure that any time um, a white poet signed up, I made sure to try to look for two poets of color. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like there's a drought of like people to try to find because like, you know, at the same time, like, you know, there aren't like MFA programs are still like overrepresented by like the white population. Right. And I know like for me, like when I was helping you to cobble up together, like people that I knew, like working poets of color that like I knew, um, you know, it's it's a lot less than like all the white poets that I know. <laughs> you know, so I'm wondering also like if you if 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 like it's hard to find, um right? Like is is it hard to find people? No, I I definitely don't. I I definitely don't. I think that it's um I think that it's actually like there are so many uh poets of color that really not only need but want a space to read um and to be represented and so i don't think that it was hard to find i think that it was it, it, what i guess what i'm saying is is that um and it was like my experience was is that when when i opened up the space and said here here's a space um there was not as many poets of color that just jumped into the spot whereas more white poets were just like happy to fill up space there mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and so it took a little bit of extra effort to make sure that it was balanced and that poets of color were actually centered in the reading series um and like, for instance, we're in Arizona, I'm indigenous. And so it's like, we've had two all indigenous uh, poetry readings. Which were both amazing, amazing. Thank you. And I mean, totally. I, and I think that it's like, it just takes, it takes effort on people's part to say, hey, we need to center certain communities. Like we need to have, we need to make sure that black trans poets get represented. We need to make sure that black women poets get represented. We need to make sure that we reach out to non-binary Latinx people. When you know what I mean? Because it's like if you don't if you don't go, we need to reach out to this community, then it sometimes it doesn't happen. Yeah. And I think that that's endemic of a lot of reading series across the country. It's just like, oh, this poet has a lot of fame, and so we need to reach out to them, and that's gonna bring but sometimes, sometimes the way to make things wonderful and to make things powerful and make things magical is to reach out to people who don't historically get reached out to and to say, hey, we think you're doing something amazing. Please share it with our community. Um, and we've been able to reach out to all of those groups of people. Like I was really so excited about the book launch we did with Faye Hernandez. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was really great. And then, you know, like, like I mentioned, do you remember that the second 
poetry salon that we had at Ramona's house when it was um, Jabari. Jabari. And yeah. And yeah. Just so powerful. Yeah, that was amazing. To see so many Black poets reading in like one place, I was just like, oh my God, when is this ever going to happen again? I need this. <laughs> and then it happens pretty consistently. So like in our salon. So <laughs> yeah. Julian, did you bring any of your own work to share with us? Yes, I did. I brought a poem, um, a poem that thinks about colorism. <laughs> um, this poem is called Gravedigger. My visitor says he likes the dick, that picture of pigeon, the Oregon sky, its puffiness above the bookcase I pretend to own full of colorful books, wonderful books, astute books you both published yourselves. He is a graveyard worker. I tell him you're my sister, I'm caring for chinchillas. I tell him I'm a nurse for the withered and torn and the small gray things and his eyes shine, Oregon stars. I kiss him like I want to eat. In the shower, he likes to make shapes in the beads of our cleanliness. In the dark, he is endless and never-endingly smooth and yielding his mouth up to mine. I shut the lantern off. Bill Evans plays. The moon is white and the air is overflowing with our wispy breaths as your picture sits inside its notebook. And as the moon climbs away, I'm still hiding you from him. My fingers interlocking with his long brown hair like rings, yielding acceptances and more platitudes while the chinchillas dust themselves, filling the room with a smoke that would make me sneeze and cry if you arrived home now, or if he found that picture of you in the bikini, a thin white girl, the aperture in the camera tinged with amber, or you with pigtails, that tensile strength in the legs, and the folded up pictures of your youth as ballerina, the ones I hid beneath the couch, in the room where you taught me how to turn and swerve my brown legs. All your memorabilia in the locked jewel boxes and treasure-filled letters I hid away, which would have whirled him around, will not warm me the way he warms me, the way I warm him with arms as strong as shovels. On a couch with quilted pillows you once made, he brushes his fingers through my hair, soft as the grass of graves, or of the fur of chinchillas expectantly looking up, awaiting your return from Utah. Somewhere in me is the photographer making a corpse of this moment because it's hard enough to find someone to love my earth color. Wow, thank you for sharing that with us. I love that last line. <laughs> Thanks. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this poem or... Yeah, I started this poem actually a couple years ago based on an experience and that I had with someone where um, I was staying at a friend's place and um, I was taking care of her chinchillas while she was gone. <laughs> and, um, you know, I met someone virtually um, and he was really attractive and he was a grave digger. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, but, like, I felt this, like, really odd pressure to, like, be someone who I wasn't. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
yeah, I don't know. I, I just have some hangups about like my skin color and like whether like I'm valued um, based on my skin tone. And so that was just like coming up for me. And I kind of like, was just like, yeah, this is my apartment <laughs> uh, to like, yeah, get acceptance from this person. And um, yeah, I don't know that, that this poem was kind of like born from that experience and uh, reflecting on it. Thank you. That's, um, I don't know if that's, if that's TMI, <laughs> that might be TMI, but. No, and I think it kind of like really speaks to what we were just talking about, about like diversity, about like, you know, um, and representation and how like, the, you know, you just described that you don't feel valued because of your skin tone. Um, and that's like, makes me feel really sad because I love you. Like, you know what I mean? Like as a friend and as a poet, I value you so much personally, you know? Um, and so that I really am glad that you felt comfortable enough to read this poem to us and to, to share it with us and to be that vulnerable. And I, I am glad that we, together have created a space where poets feel okay to speak vulnerably like this. Um, and I'm curious if you could just talk to us about how it is that you became a poet and like what made you, like as a queer person, why did you decide to become a poet? Yeah, um, so I knew I always wanted to be a poet since the age of 12. And um, I had had this moment in English class in like the seventh grade um, where I happened upon a poem in a textbook and it was Mushrooms by Sylvia Plath. And, you know, before then I'd only read things like Robert Frost and like other rhymy poetry. And um, I don't know, like experiencing that poem and like apprehending that it just, it wasn't about mushrooms. Like it was about, you know, someone struggling through depression, I was just like, oh my God, like, I felt seen by that poem at that time in my life. And um, yeah, it just, it just really changed my consciousness about like, what art and literature can do. And um, I felt less alone. And I wanted to do that for someone else. You know, like I yeah, I, I I want to leave something behind for someone um, who like maybe is struggling or like has been sharing in my experience. I can so relate to that. I was when as you were speaking that I was thinking about um, I you know I I started out as a composer um, and it was not really until my thirties that I kind of really like seriously got involved with poetry and I remember when I first encountered Conrad's poetry I listened to like a YouTube video or whatever and I was just like <laughs> there were so many parts of me as a queer person that was just like oh my god that is that is what I went through and I never knew how to say it and that person just 
set it, you know, like with lightning bolts, and you know, that I was just like getting shocked by, you know, what I mean, it just like, yeah, exactly. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah. And the other one who, the other poet um, who I'm like so excited was on our series is Tommy Pico. And it's just like as a queer indigenous poet, I remember reading their the article that came out in the New Yorker right before IRL was um, released. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking like, if that person can do it, I can do it too. Like I, like I can say these things. I can talk about these unique struggles that I go through and also the unique beauty that I have. And so thank you. I mean, I, I know that your work is going to touch a lot of people down, you know, as more and more people read your work. Um, you know, whenever your first book comes out, and I know it, I, I know that it will. But then also, I know that you already have touched so many people through the work you've done with this reading series. Um, and I'm so I'm grateful to you for. I'm grateful to you for the friendship that we've developed through this reading series and. Um, I, to me, I think that's one of the beautiful things that like queer artists uniting does is that it builds friendships and it builds community. Um, and I feel like our society is created in such a way that dissuades us from building strong relationships with one another. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of us feel isolated, you know, and I know the quarantine kind of might be exacerbating that, but at the same time, like we have a right to build strong and beautiful communities where we're able to show our beautiful hearts and our beautiful spirits to one another. And um, I really want to thank you for sharing your beautiful heart and your beautiful spirit with us. Um, I'm not like a super smiley person or whatever, you know what I mean? So like, it's been so, um, meaningful to me to have your presence at the Queer Poetry Salon because you're always smiling and you're always like revealing that like really radiant part of yourself to people. So you hired me just to smile. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 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 <laughs> that's exactly okay, what like i'm talking about <laughs> but, but you know what i mean like that's how we like help each other out like we've been we've been able to really kind of like balance one another's energy with this and i really i just want to thank you julian thank you for what you've done for equality arizona and for me as a person and for what you've done for queer poetry in arizona is there anything that you'd like to close off with? Any final thing that you'd like to say? Um, just that this has been such a beautiful experience and it means so much to me. And I think that, you know, this is giving people like the space and the permission to do the things that they actually want to do. And that's always a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, 
I really love the Queer Poetry Salon and Equality Arizona. And thank you all so much for like having me on board with this. This has been really, really great. Awesome. Well, we're looking forward to doing more of these podcasts. Uh, going forward, Julian will be um, the co-host. I wanted to have a conversation with him today just to honor his poetry and honor his contribution to this series. And I, I felt like it would be a beautiful way for us to, to kick off this podcast. And um, we look forward to interviewing many more queer poets. Hopefully we, we're gonna, um, gonna interview some people who've already read on our series and give them a little bit more opportunity to just tell, tell us who they are and to, to share their, their beautiful hearts and spirits with us.